Hello, welcome to Moving Iron Podcast number 38. On this episode, I have Greg Machinery Pete Peterson, and uh, I had Greg on here a couple times so far uh, over the year, and I wanted to get him back on as we head into the end of the year and kind of reflect back on 17, and let's talk and talk about um, values and what he sees happening out there. Greg, welcome to the show. Hey, thanks for having me back, Casey. Always fun to chat machinery with you. As I look out there, I'm noticing that auction values are... You know, I've used the word soft bottom a few times on here, and that's kind of where I'm, I'm going to stick with that. But it looks like there's a a little bit of a stronger, more consistent feel to what's happening out yeah, there. Yeah, it's been really interesting since uh, November 1st, Casey. I, you know, compiling this data, auction price data of 28 years, I figured out a long time ago that, um, you know, predicting is kind of pointless because it doesn't really matter what, what we think anything might sell for whether it's a tractor combine you just kind of let it unfold and then we analyze as it happens so we started getting these prices in and especially on the good condition stuff um you know which is always the case there's always higher demand for that good condition used uh, at dealer level and at the auction market but boy since november 1st the auction prices even up through you know the one and two year old stuff that was showing up at auction uh, if it was good shape, prices were really solid, and it surprised me a little how strong it was to the point, like you mentioned, row crop tractors. Um, every quarter I, I do, a, it's kind of our Wall Street report, our machine repeat uh, use values index, and then when I sit down after Christmas to do that, there's a pretty good chance that index will actually bump up just a smidge, and it was all driven by, you know, since November 1st, uh, again, prices were really solid. So real quick, give a rundown of that of, of your index and, and how that works and what that what that all means for folks that might not know that. Yeah, I started it back in 2011, Casey, and I it probably been I don't know four or five years that I had um, the analysts with kind of the big banks on Wall Street, Goldman Sachs, uh, J.P. Morgan, uh, Citibank. They would call me, I, I think, just because they like saw my machinery P column in the farm magazines. And back 2011, you know, we were living more in a print world. Um, social media hadn't quite, it was just starting to take off. So anyway, they'd call me and they knew I compiled this auction price data. And I think what they were doing is they'd get the quarterly report from Deer Case or whatever. And then they would look for ground truth. So I'm sure you, you as a dealer, I'm sure you've been getting calls and all your audience been getting calls from these guys so they called me and they knew I was sitting on 500,000 prices so finally this was uh, 2010 I was driving down I-90 here in southern Minnesota and I was talking to the main analyst with Goldman Sachs and I was in a pickup and it was an icy morning I was on my way to Kansas to film an auction and my pickup went off the road and flipped over luckily it was low speed but I wound up upside down Diet Coke all over the truck uh, and I'm on the phone with this guy from Goldman Sachs. I'm like, his name was Joe. And I'm like, Joe, I got to cut out. I'm, I just rolled my truck. And he, he was good. But he called me back later, and uh, I was fine. And he said, Greg, I, I guess you got to tell you something. He said, you're leaving dollar bills on the table by not having a Wall Street report. And I just laughed. I said, I realize that, Joe. <laughs> but my issue was, Casey, I, didn't, I don't know how to make a Wall Street report. I'm just sitting on a lot of data, and I can write. I enjoy writing. So finally, I just I said, okay, let's take the auction price data, and let's let's do a couple things. We'll make an overall rating for the whole 
used equipment market. And then we'll also break it down by sector. So four-wheel drive, 200 plus horse, under 100, combines, tillage, planning, right down through everything. And then just based on the auction price data, we made a one to 10 rating scale. And I, I just said, okay, been doing this at the time for well, it was 22 years at the time. So I said 6.0 is, is what I consider normal or stable use values. Now, I say that we all can laugh because, of course, there is no stable and there is no normal. But, again, I've just been doing it so long, I said, okay, six. So we started tracking it. And, of course, big swings over the years, depending on commodity prices, farmer income. So every quarter we put this thing out. And I, I think what's happened is that at, at the corporate level, I think we've heard the manufacturers, they're very aware of it. Um, and I, hopefully... Again, it's it's good ground truth and just my best estimate on on telling you know investor groups or hedge funds or whoever what's happening with use values and of course then we talk about how what's happening with use values is always directly tied to condition for new sales and so it's ebbed and flowed and it's it's a fun thing to put out uh, and now we also work in other data sets. Uh, really exciting. So it's like search traffic data to our machinerypeat.com website. So auction price data on, you know, high horse row crop tractors. We're Again, we're seeing them go up a little bit. And it's fascinating to see the correlation to the search traffic data, which is right now, since November 1st, is showing the exact same thing, a significant spike in farmer search traffic. Now, some of that is farmers getting out of the field, and it's cold, and, you know, hey, I'll hang out on the Internet most of the day, whatever. But when we compare back to a year ago, that's when it gets interesting. And we really, part of our goal, and you know, all your listeners, actually, this index is available to our dealers, you know, through your machine repeat subscription. And the search traffic is kind of actionable on a marketing level because we want to be transparent. So if you're sitting there, and we've talked before about this case, you're, you're looking ahead for planners. You know, how many do I, what's our, what do we think 2018 is going to be? How many do we need? That type of thing. Well, it's good to look at the auction price data, hard cash, what are guys paying, 24 planners, but then also good to look at the demand level. Is it up? Is it down? Where is it up? And so we just weave all that into this index and, again, just try to paint a picture Hopefully, let people know what's yanking. I've looked at your the index quite a bit and mm-hmm. kind of get a good feel of the overall marketplace. So I really enjoy reading that index when it comes out. Well, thanks. It's uh, one of the things too that we that we work in. Again, we're we're trying to paint as complete a picture as we can. So as we travel the country and visit with you know folks like yourself, Casey, that's uh, tremendously helpful to me to get the dealer uh, perspective on the current market. So when we film, whether for our TV show Machine Repeat or U.S. Farm Report, uh, that's really. It's super helpful just to spend two days with guys like you and just, you know, hey, what are you seeing here in western Nebraska, mm-hmm. southern Kansas? And then, again, we compare to the auction price data and the search traffic data. And 
swirl it all up and and it, it's funny because when I started doing this in 1989, I mean, my dad, dear dealer, third generation, and he's the reason I started. And what what we were trying to do at the time was get decisions away from gut level. And of course, there was no internet back then, and we were putting out books, but the auction price data. A lot of times, you know, you guys are so plugged in, you know, you obviously know what's happening, but we just want to provide confirmation. Uh, you know, four-wheel drive tractors, ooh, the last month, ooh, these are soft, or these are up, whatever. Just confirm it to a certain level, like they might, they're up 5%, down 3%, so that you know and then can act accordingly. So I've had a couple of guests on where we've kind of compared and contrasted 2016 and 2017, and mm. kind of with the idea being that my my position on it's been that 2016 and 2017 weren't all that much different from each other as far as overall activity goes i mean there were some there were some changes and there were some opportunities to to sell grain and those kind of things throughout 2016 2017 that were that were kind of some peaks but as you look at it across the whole spectrum there's not much not dramatically different between the two and like for example i went through and compiled some data from that one of our one of our guys here compile every every two weeks I believe twice a month anyway he goes out and list finds out what's on the internet and then just sure. lists those like combines and tractors and so on and so forth right. and I put those all on a graph and from January one of 2016 to here uh, the last report he put out here on the 15th of December and you know there's a put a trend line across it and the trend line was trending as far as overall inventories go. It was trending down. There is some areas, and some are some are greater than others, especially like planters, for example, where that trend line right. was showing some some pretty good, pretty good cascading effects as far as inventories go. So, right. when you look back at 2016 and you look back at 2017, do you see the same thing, or do you see something different than what I just laid out there? No, I see exactly what you laid out, Casey. In fact, when you were talking there, I just pulled up uh, the third quarter overall index from our that you know use values index we just mentioned. And if you look back to the start of 2016, my one to ten scale was approximately 6.4, and that's about exactly what it is now mm-hmm. uh, through the third quarter. Um, and again, there might be a slight tidge up fourth quarter, but. Some of that is the fourth quarter farmer behavior over the last decade, fourth quarter purchases, even in a tough economy. They're just pounded into their head, you know, spend at the end of the year, and it, it's reflected in pricing. That's usually why I say if I were having a sale, I'd have it in November. But, yeah, I, I agree with what you just said. It's, it's soft bottom. Uh, if you look at our chart here, uh, you know, first quarter of 13 that it tied the all-time high on my index. I think it was 9.4 on a 1 to 10. I mean, it was it was so heated back then, you know, that uh, late 12, early 13. I remember going to auctions in February and March of 13, and it was, like, just amazing. Mm-hmm. But, uh, and then if you look at the, at the graph, I mean, it went straight down. Last three quarters of 13, all 14 to me was, like, from an auction, hard cash auction perspective, that was like nuclear year. Because I, I was reporting that use values were falling 20, like 22% on average on late model large equipment. Yeah. Planners, tractors, combine. I mean, it just was dropping like a rock. So the question then, everywhere I went, 
that people would ask me whether it was Wall Street, Joe Farmer, Joe Dealer, whoever, it was like, okay, we're falling like a rock. We know it. When are we going to hit? When's the rock going to hit the bottom? Again, so here's the beauty of the hard cash auction price because it doesn't lie. And you can, you know, you and I stood there, uh, what it was, a Wednesday at the SEMA sale up here. And again, you can look at any piece and go, I think it's worth 200 It doesn't matter what we think. The only thing that matters is gavel falls, boom, about 195 mm-hmm. And then if that's a little lower, then you got your trend. But again, it's, it's what we started to level off. First quarter of 16, we kind of dropped. We stopped the drop. And then, and then I described that period as I'm a Minnesota boy, so it was like we get ice on the lakes up here, uh, our 10,000 lakes. And when the first ice forms, you know, you don't want to be a dumbass and walk out there and fall through the ice. <laughs> Excuse my language, but you you tiptoe, right. you slide your mm. foot, and you go, oh, "Is this ice going? Is this ice going hold?" And then at some point, you go, "Yeah, I can drive my pickup on here. I can go ice fishing. Cool." And and through 16, we saw that. And the one interesting thing, again, I like I like different data sets. And do they do they tell the same story? And so our auction pricing was showing that soft bottom you mentioned. The other thing we started to see after about the first quarter of 16 was the amount of dealer equipment that would, was showing up on the wholesale market at auction started to slow down. So that, you know, there's still obviously still dealer sales and equipment being put on auction time and other online. But to me, the volume of it started to slow. And that spoke to the pain that dealers dealt with late 13, all of 14, all of 15, early 16 of moving that excess stuff. And auction was one tool. And it sucked to put that out there and get those numbers. But the market, it had to happen. So, again... That's a very long-winded way of saying I agree with you, Casey. <laughs> okay, so let's take a look at some some of the auctions here, especially in the last you know couple couple of weeks here. Last you know basically mid November or mid yeah mid November through uh, uh, right. here coming up on the end of the year. A couple ones that I paid close attention to because being a John Deere dealer, that's what they were selling, so it made a pretty big uh, impact right. on my business, but. I went up to the uh, Sinclair tractor sale up in Sigourney, Iowa, right. and uh, we watched that one sell. And they had a lot of a lot of equipment, and a lot of it was low hour late model stuff. Um, even some of the older six seventies and six eighties and six nineties and stuff that had a few hours on them um, seemed like they were selling pretty well from from what I could tell. And right. you know, Sullivan Auction does a great job every time that they they put something right. out there, so they always do a pretty good job. Uh, with that stuff but um i didn't notice anything there that that struck me as you know this stuff went way too low the only i guess the only thing that i would say where i was a little bit maybe shocked um about pricing was was the planters but Mm -hmm. they still sold very strong and i would say that most of the stuff there that i watched sell and kind of going through the rolodex of my mind here was within Ten thousand bucks of what my retail price was, so that tells me that that was a very strong retail-driven marketplace, and it was one of the first auctions where I'd watched that the internet didn't really play a big effect on what had happened there. Uh, most of it seemed like it stayed right there where it was at. So, 
I don't know if you had a chance to talk to anybody about that, but um, kind of wanted to get your opinion yeah, on that. So. Yeah, I was really hoping to make it down there. We had, but we had just filmed in uh, filmed a, a big uh, farm auction, kind of a financial deal, but uh, late model equipment on Western Ohio uh, two days prior, and I uh, just couldn't make it down uh, to the sale. But I was really watching it, and, and on our social media, boy, I could really tell Casey there was a, a tremendous awareness of the sale for like ten days, fourteen days out. And I think it was the the amount of late model equipment. So you, I even wrote, I think I wrote a blog about it. And I, I just said, wow, you know, 20, I think it was 22 S-series combines and quite a number of more of that, like 12, the early ones, like you said. So the general, again, the general chatter was kind of, oh, my God, look at this, you know. And so from talking to a bunch of my folks that were at the sale, and Sullivan's, of course, who I know real well, and then uh, – you know, afterwards, it was interesting because, again, you look at the numbers, and I looked at them and thought, kind of seemed a little bit like a magic show, that they were able to attain those numbers given the depth they had to sell. You know, 20, 26 combines you got to sell, that, that, that's no easy task. And sometimes those sales, you can start off okay, and then you just you just peter out. But it, it looked to me like they were able to hold it up. Again, the, the two areas... <clears throat> to me, Casey, that are a little soft right now that we've been seeing, and you touched on one planters, of course, uh, and then large tillage has been a little bit problematic in terms of softer auction pricing. But no, the Sinclair, I thought, you know, again, given what they had to sell was, you know, kind of a home run in terms of both Sinclair and the market as a whole. And you hit on the real interesting thing, that it was so much farmer-driven. I had a number of people make that comment to me that were there that uh, that, that sale was, uh, you know, a lot of that stuff stayed local. I think there, if you pull back, and this is why I, I did a segment on Ag Day TV, and I was really kind of hesitant about focusing on this particular topic, but it was to the point I just I felt the market needed to <laughs> absorb it. But what I'm saying, it's becoming a little more important who sells it on the auction market and underneath that how they what they do or don't do to promote it now that sinclair sale um you know i talked to so many people that sullivan's you know i think they had like 30 sales in 35 days or something and i they sent me this 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 uh book it felt like a book and it sale bills on all these sales and then they didn't just leave it at that for the Sinclair sale, I think they were probably rightly concerned, like, oh my gosh, all this late mile stuff. So then you get into email blasts and further separate print items and video promotion and you swirl all that up. And then for that sale and the SEMA sale, they also did something I've seen them do like a couple times. I think the Van Wall sale, March of 16 was the first time they did it. I think they're, in their case, they're one of uh, probably the biggest egg seller on proxy bid. So they, they kind of just put the screws to proxy bid and say, hey, you know, we want to uh, take away that online buyer's fee. And they lean on them and then they swallow the cost on it. But again, to me, that's really smart. That's knowing Joe Farmer, right? Because what's one thing farmers say? I mean, they pay the buyer's fee, but like every farmer I've ever talked to said, well, I don't like it. So if you take it away 
and you promote that you took it away, that's kind of noticed. And so again, you know, the pricing there, I thought on that sale was was really strong. Yeah, that was uh that was the one thing I heard towards the end of that auction that they were going to waive the waive the uh, online fee again for the SEMA sale, and pretty much the overwhelming majority of the people there were, well, if they're going to do that, I'm not going to go to the auction. I'm just going to bid online. So. Yeah, that that's kind of fat. Now you you stood there at the SEMA sale with me, and that was shocking. Yeah, I wasn't at Sinclair, and, and you referenced there were tons of local folks that came out. Yep. Uh, now SEMA didn't have quite the, the the equipment they had on the sale versus their sale in November of sixteen. Right. I I think farmers look if there's a lot of late model equipment, there's the sense there's going to be, you know, big bargains. And that drives them out. Now, the last SEMA sale was a good sale, but it just didn't have as much late model stuff. And the crowd, I was shocked. But, uh, you know, there just weren't many people there. But yep. they had 500 online. Like you say, people, and it was a cold day. Yep. Uh, uh, you left a teaser a little bit for me. His earmuffs. <laughs> Denver Bronco earmuffs. Those are sweet. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. But, you guys, they weren't. But, yeah, there, there just weren't that many people there. But, Still, and you get 500 online, and they took away the, the buyer's premium again, so. Yeah. That, well, I mean, what did you, what was your take away on the SEMA sale versus Sinclair price-wise? Well, I, I think the folks that came, when that I when I was there watching the stuff at, at the Sinclair auction, those people were there, and they were ready to buy something, and they were, they were there to buy. Yeah. They weren't there to kick yeah. tires. They weren't there to do anything. They were going to run it up right. as high as they possibly could and try to win. Um, right. There was nothing at the Sinclair auction that I could bid on, that I that I could even mm. buy, bring back, and and even right. hope to make any kind of any kind of margin on. Um, right. At the uh, SEMA sale, there was some stuff there that brought I brought back home and and made mm-hmm. made some dollars on. Um, but all that being said, that stuff still brought. Um, yeah good money i mean there wasn't anything there that was a dog by any means so there was and i I felt like i I think both ways i think obviously think the sinclair one was there it was there was was a lot higher and to the point of of the sinclair auction there i think their values were higher with the amount of stuff that they had the way that it was positioned in the the auction line Mm -hmm. you know they do Mm -hmm. a 690 a 670 and a s660 and then they would do mm-hmm. some tillage pieces and some tractors and some, you know, maybe a planter or something like that. And then they would do some more combines and then do some more tractors. I mean, they had it broken up in there to where there wasn't that, you know, normal. We're going to start and sell all these combines and then we're going to sell all these right. tractors. And there wasn't that. It was if you didn't, yeah. if you missed that on one group, you had to wait a little bit to get to the next group. And it kind of brought that anticipation back up. Mm, exactly. And I, I know from talking to the guys, they, and I think it goes way back to some of those big sales, like Oregon Trail they did out in Nebraska in 21st, and that big custom cutter guy in July of 15 with all the S-series combines. There's a lot of thought behind, yeah, how how do we order this? And like you say, it's interesting. You sell a couple of them, and then you, you, know, you wait 12 or 15 items, and oh, here's another shot, mini shot. Mm-hmm. And the old way was like, well, we got 26 combines. Here's our combine row. Right. And that was that was the oh my god if you if the first two sell soft, you got you just got nowhere to go but into the tanker. Right. And so, 
Um, but yeah, the SEMA, I mean, I was watching a couple items and we filmed it for our, our show. So we're, you know, we're careful about how we represent everything to the market, give it a fair view. But I was standing there watching that on the SEMA sale, that 14 mile, 95, 60 RT, mm -hmm. uh, 1400 and some hours on it. And I'd seen that dealer auction in, I think it was Owine, Iowa mm -hmm. back in August. Now August was a little softer period. Right. But it was exactly the same hours, and that brought 181 there, and, and the CMAC brought 192.5. So I thought there were a couple, couple like you were saying, some some buying opportunities uh, on SEMA. But again, for the most part, I'm sure they were pretty happy with the result. Yeah, it's it's amazing how this year shook out. I mean, the 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 typical summer auction market that was there was, mm -hmm. as far as I concerned, was very soft. For, for what it yep. for what it for any time of the year and the, the uncertainty in the marketplace you know corn was depending on where you're at either had too much rain or it was too dry or it was too hot during pollination or some number of reasons why right. the corn crop was in jeopardy right and right and come to find out it was one of the best corn crops you've had in quite a while and right yeah the timing of it you're right Casey, it's uh, if you charted our auction data in the month of August, you know there was the uncertainty um, with how my crop doesn't look that good, and then USJ crop report comes out like whatever August tenth, and the next day I, I was starting to see ooh soft, soft, soft on all these prices coming in, but then you know in November one of the things I think that helped is when the guys finally even up here in Minnesota where we were so late when they finally got it in the bin and I was like, geez, I would never have guessed in August that this is where we come out. Uh -huh. Then there's just this human element um, that gets applied here. So even though $3 corn stinks, you just had another, maybe your third or fourth best year ever What in terms of yield. So that just, you know, you feel better. And when you feel better, you know, you're more optimistic. And when you're more optimistic, if you're buying used, you know, you know whether that's, you know, we're, we're hearing a lot of dealers talking about moving all these used combines the last two, three months, or at auction, seeing higher prices. It's just uh, it's kind of psychology 101, I think. Yeah. Yeah, I know. And it's uh, it's just crazy how it shook out. I mean, it would have, if you would have told me how the end of the year was going to be in August based on auction values, I would have been... Right, I mean, like, where it's not going to be very good, but it's coming together. So, I, I'm I'm pretty positive, especially with the new tax stuff that came out. You know, right. they bumped up 179 to I think it's a million bucks now that they can depreciate in the first year. So instead of half a million, so that should. So your outlook be, for 2018 is, is is a little rosier than prior. Oh, it's you know I I still think January February are going to be pretty pretty quiet. Um, yeah. You know, March and April will pick up because planning's coming right around the corner and guys are going to start making some decisions. I th I right. really, I'm going to stick to this, and I've said it several times here, but those planners that are out there right now, those those 15 and 16 model planners and 17 model planners that are out there now are going to be a hot commodity, in my opinion, mm -hmm. just because of the technology that's there. Right. Well, I you know, I would echo that, Casey. We were filming... Um, the day before the SEMA auction, we were down with Bodensteiners in Eastern Iowa, kind of around Elkader there. And, uh, with these, like we do with you guys, when we come down to film, 
uh, Tyne Morgan comes out and we try to have talk to a couple of your customers. So uh, the focus on this show was planners. Um, so, you know, kind of a hot button topic, but we were out with this farmer and the dealer salesman tells me, you know, this, this guy is, he's the guy everyone looks to locally. He's just a good guy. He's connected, sells seed, good operator. And so we got talking to him about his planner and he just, he was lighting up and, you know, Midwest farmers, Midwest guys, dealers, when the TV cameras on, usually we, we kind of, it's a, again, that's who we are. We don't, we don't like to brag, whatever. We just kind of keep that down a little bit, but he just, he was uh, evangelizing for the, for the new planner and how it changed. He goes, this 16 year old planner, he goes, I, it's like, I got 16, I actually have 16 planners you know, at the role level and everything I can do in this technology. And, and he, that was coming from his, from his heart. He was preaching it. And so, like you say, when a, when a one or two year old planner like that hits the auction market now, and, you know, I think you're probably right that we will see some uh, heat on those items. So it'll be interesting to follow for sure. Another thing too, to watch with those planners, I think will be the 2008 sixes, uh, fives, sevens those those model yeah. years in there the precision planning thing is getting to be a bigger and bigger deal too and right. what you can buy you'll start seeing i think those planners are actually going to go down in value so they can buy them cheap enough to, to afford to put on you know fifty yep. or sixty thousand dollars worth of precision and then have not quite the same planner as the one coming from the factory but it's pretty right. darn close what you can do with them yeah it's all about pencil and paper right if, if uh your number one year old is too high, then, but you're right, the desire for the technology is there. So, yeah. how can they make it work? It's just amazing what you can do with them as far as, like, the, you know, like, you, right. like the guy was saying, like the individual rows and all that stuff. So, I think that from my from my standpoint, that's going to be a pretty big deal early in the year is, is how that planner market holds up and what that looks like. Yeah, I, I agree too. It's, it's a hot button and we'll. That's the fun with watching an auction. You know, here's a one-year-old or here's a nine-year-old, and let's see. Let's find out what they bring. Absolutely. Absolutely. So, well, I think that pretty well does it here, Greg. Do you have any, any last things you'd like to say before we close it down? No, I just say hey, Merry Christmas. I'm not sure when you'll, when you, how quick you turn them out there, Casey, but, again, hats off to what you're doing here. Uh, yeah, thanks for having me on. Really fun. No, it's, a, it's always an honor to have you on, Greg, and Merry Christmas to you and your family, and hope to talk to you some more after the first of the year. Sounds great. Well, that's going to do it for this edition of the Moving Iron Podcast. I'd like to thank Greg, Machinery, Pete Peterson for being a guest on this episode. Remember, if you'd like to continue any of these conversations, you can hit me up on Facebook, Twitter, or Instagram at Moving Iron LLC, or you can find me on LinkedIn. You can also send me an email at Moving Iron Podcast at movingironpodcast.com. Moving Iron LLC has a website you can visit, movingironllc.com. Here you can find information for the 2018 Moving Iron Summit in Las Vegas, past and current episodes of Moving Iron Podcast, and articles from Moving Iron Blog. Throughout the year, there will be guest bloggers writing on various topics from their point of view. If you'd like to support the podcast, you can leave a review and subscribe at your favorite podcasting platform. Or if you shop Amazon, please use the Amazon click-through at movingironllc.com. It won't cost you anything, and you'll still have the same experience you're accustomed to while supporting the podcast. You can find this podcast on iTunes, Google Play, Stitcher Radio, TuneIn Radio, and SoundCloud. So until next time, let's go move some iron. This is Casey Seymour.